0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where I, your host, Scott Lowe, is joined by a guest to talk about the ongoing journey of learning and the evolution of the IT professional. If this is your first time listening, thanks so much for joining us. The purpose of the podcast is to share practical, usable, actionable, real-world information on the technologies and products that you'll encounter across the full stack of the modern data center. And I'm joined by various guests who talk about their own journey and talk about the technologies they've worked with or learned, and they share information that you, the listeners, can then put to work in your own career. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Thank you for joining us once again. Today, I am uh, joined uh, by a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Shannon McFarland. We're going to be talking about Istio and Envoy service meshes. Shannon, thanks for joining me.
1: Hey, glad to be here. Thanks, Scott. Hey, I
0: I know we've been working on getting this scheduled, and I'm super thrilled that we were finally able to make everything uh, line up. Um, so Shannon, you, you know, you and I, we've we both live here in the Denver area. We've worked together on a number of different things. So obviously I am very familiar with with what the the work that you've done. But just for the listeners who maybe um haven't run into you before, um, you know, why don't you share a little bit about your background and and um and uh you know give them some some context.
1: Okay, great. Well, I uh, I started my official tech career back in uh kind of the mid-90s as a network engineer for a national hospital chain. Um, I uh, focused on uh, just basic L2, L3 type of, of networking, and uh, and very quickly got uh, absorbed into running the Novell NetWare environment, and uh, ended up uh, then uh, being plummeted into the depths of AS400. Uh, but uh, I I really focused uh, more on on kind of coming out of an L2, L3 world into why do networks and and uh the elements that sit on top of networks really matter so things like gluing operating systems and sitting them on top of a network and applications that then set on top of those operating systems uh, kind of became a theme that has lived through throughout out my career so i kind of took that from the hospital world uh, moved into a, a value-added reseller role uh, where I was uh, kind of dropped into uh, customers each and every day trying to kind of either do an implementation or fighting a fire they had with, again, uh, Novell or Windows NT or Cisco routers and switches, whatever the case might be. Uh, and I, I stayed with that until I moved to uh, Cisco in March of 2000, and I've been at Cisco ever since then. Uh, I started out as a as a channel SE covering Colorado, Wyoming, and Utah, but I, I pretty quickly moved to uh, Cisco corporate engineering, which is where I've been since then. Um, and I focused on a wide variety of things uh, here at Cisco. So uh, I'm fairly, uh, you know, known for IP multicast, VDI, IPv6, data center networking. Uh, the last uh, probably four years or so, I've been uh, fairly involved with uh, OpenStack. Ah, uh, Kubernetes, and now now kind of istio is is my world. Um, and then, you know a lot of the roles that I've had have uh, always been around um, gluing uh, the network construct uh, together with the things that run on top of it. So I've never been a part of a product team. I've always been a part of some sort of solutions engineering or CTO team uh, and that's that's kind of like where I found my niche. And so uh, most recently, like I say, it's it's been uh, very focused on open source projects, OpenStack, Kubernetes, Istio, um, and that's that's kind of where I'm sitting today. It's it's interesting as I was thinking about and 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 I first approached you
0: about being on the podcast, and and then I started thinking about the things that I knew that you had worked on, and 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 I didn't have a full sense of everything that you've done, but I. You know, I knew about you from you know obviously a, a from a Cisco perspective, being a strong networking individual, and then you'd spend a bunch of time in OpenStack, and then and now you had moved into um, sort of Kubernetes and containers and service mesh, and I thought you know this guy is is kind of like the the quintessential you know, person that describes what I call the full stack engineer, somebody who's not just like just a networking person or just an operating systems person or just an applications person, but kind of crosses over the silos and moves among the different technologies, always looking at the bigger picture and sort of how all the pieces fit together. Um, so was that, in, you know, intentional or just kind of happened that way?
1: Well, no, I mean, I, I think uh, I, I will, I will tell you my time at at the, in the VAR world um, exposes you very quickly to a very diverse number of technologies that have no, you know, corner to them. There you're a lot of a lot of times, especially when you're at a smaller bar, you end up not being just a routing person or a voice person or an exchange person. You you end up a lot of times getting dropped into the mixture of, oh hey, while you're here, can you take a look at this? And and it ends up being something that you get sprinkled across a wide variety of, of technical areas. And Many people absolutely retract from that. They, they, they just do not like it because they want to go very deep in one thing and that's what they want to live by. Um, and, I, and I'm kind of a little bit of the opposite. I love kind of having the full view of uh, what happens from the bottom to the top of the stack and uh, knowing how they relate to one another and, and why each one of them matters. Because you know a lot of times, especially those of us that ever go talk to customers, Um, you have always got to understand the context by which they're applying a technology into their environment. And, and if you just have a singular, viewpoint into that you can't really do a great job in, in helping them solve their problems well
0: I completely agree it's why I'm a strong advocate for having technologists uh, you know sort of branch into other areas so that they don't get locked into that that one sort of mindset of thinking and the one way of viewing the world but instead being able to you know reach across the gap into the other silos and talk to your teammates and and sort of you know look at how as you pointed you know how the customers are actually using that whether you're external customers as in the VAR world uh, where you and I both spent some time, or whether it's just your internal customers, those users who are using the technology solutions that you're building. Yep. So we just, um, you know, kind of jumping off of of th- that background, and thanks for that, by the way. You mentioned you were you were kind of now getting into Istio Envoy and service meshes, and we just recently published an episode with uh, George Miranda. Um, listeners, if you hadn't had a chance to to catch up on that one, you want to to uh, to take a look at that. George Miranda with Buoyant, and he talked uh, for a while about Linkerd and sort of the idea of a service mesh, but you know, I mean, from, from your perspective, and I think, again, given your background, you've got a, a great sort of set of experience to be able to relate what this is to a lot of different readers. I mean, if you had to describe a service mesh and, and, and you know, when one would really be inclined to use one, you know, what would you say? And, and let's start by just trying to make sure that all the listeners understand what we talk about when we talk about a service mesh.
1: Yeah. And and, and my terms, and and if you actually, you know, you go to KubeCon or you go to, to many other things, it, it's kind of a... Uh, you know, a bit of a duplication and, and uh, or overlap in the way they're described, but but you know, in in my view, a service mesh is a is a tier layer of the network infrastructure, and I, and you got to really clue in on that that word network. Uh, but it's a, a tier layer of the network infrastructure that deals with service to service relationships. Uh, so Istio, you know, can use services that that exist in a service registry, something like Kubernetes, or it can be something that is uh, a uh, part of a virtual machine or a bare metal environment. We'll, we'll stick with kind of the Kubernetes uh, theme here for a bit. Um, and it can take that, that service information that exists in something like Kubernetes and do stuff with that. So it can perform uh, layer seven through load balancing, layer seven load balancing, it can apply some sort of uh, security like a mutual TLS. Um, it can uh, take a look at availability and resiliency. So it can do things like health check, uh, of the services that exist inside of that mesh and do things based upon some sort of, of health check uh, failure or a threshold uh, and and some of the key attributes of, of service meshes um, include uh, one the, the ability to have visibility into it so so visibility into the traffic flow um, taking that information turning it around and doing something like policy enforcement um, are are key attributes uh, of the service mesh and i think uh, service meshes, as, as they're always described, are kind of uh, separated into two planes, a control and data plane. Um, and service meshes deploy thin or lightweight proxies basically alongside uh, these applications or pods. And, and these proxies perform uh, their magic basically without the app really knowing that they exist, which is which is extremely powerful because you're not – really going in and having to make code changes to add mutual TLS or to uh, go in and perform L7 load balancing based upon uh, a canary deployment. I don't have to restructure the code uh, to perform those types of things. And so from an application view, the existence of that service mesh is transparent. um, And the the core component of these service meshes are these proxies or these sidecars that communicate directly with each other um, and in my most you know simplistic fashion, I think these proxies or these sidecars are really uh, the cornerstone of what kind of constitute this definition of a mesh. That makes
0: sense. So let me just sort of repeat that back as as I heard it. What we're really talking about here is sort of a, an extension of the network infrastructure, reaching up, if you will, from the sort of traditional layer three, layer four space where it's traditionally been kind of forced into residing, right? And Reaching up into layer seven, so now we have this this application awareness, this uh, application level protocol awareness, and talking more about service endpoints um, instead of you know IP endpoints, and and that and that gives us sort of a, a whole nother level of visibility and a whole nother level of granularity, if you will, in terms of what the service mesh is is capable of doing. Does that sound? You know reasonably accurate
1: absolutely there's a there's a, a slide that a lot of people use when they do kind of an istio primer and one of the one of the very first bits of text in that presentation is uh talks about service meshes are a network but a network for services versus bytes um and so i think your your read back there is exactly right where it's we're moving beyond moving you know packets or bits and bytes across the network at an l2 l3 or even l4 kind of a layer um and we're we're much deeper into the innards of the application, uh, uh, or service relationship, and and we're doing magical things at that layer. Got it. Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think
0: clarifying that tie back to, quote unquote, traditional networking is really important because I, in my mind, I think that you know while service mesh for now is is a bit limited to areas where it really offers a lot of benefit, like Kubernetes um, or other container orchestration systems. Um, it seems to me like this is going to be a really strong direction that uh, the networking industry and the networking community is really going to have to to understand and embrace.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. because it's, you know, I mean, uh, a, a lot of the challenge that we have we have had in uh, both from an operational perspective within within uh, a, a, an enterprise or a service provider or even from the actual tool sets that we consume uh, within those kind of operational boundaries that we've kind of got this uh, demarcation point of what is mine and what is yours and what tools do I use versus what tools do you use and what do I care about and what do you care about And and when we kind of always have these dividing line, um, it's very difficult uh, in a deployment to be able to have some sort of linkage between the traditional networking world and then what we're talking about today with the service mesh, where I've got network stuff going on at an upper layer, but it's not something that I, as, as a trad- traditional maybe net ops person, um, would either know about or care about or have any control over. And so I think we're, we're kind of entering into a very uh, exciting time for me. This is probably one of the most uh, positive things about uh, Istio for, for me is is how do we now kind of break down some of those barriers and allow linkage between service message, mesh, meshes and traditional networking. So instead of them being, uh, you know, one versus the other, how do we actually uh, allow one to work with the other in a, in, a, in a pretty seamless fashion?
0: Yeah, I could certainly see that. Um, so kind of thinking about, you know, what we talk about here on the podcast, which is, you know, career evolution and journey of, of learning and, and, and education, all that kind of stuff. I mean... You know, I only—I only—I want to spend too much time on this because I want to get in deeper into the actual technology that you know with Istio and Envoy. But just thinking about this, I mean, you, you spent you know years and years, sort of quote unquote, in the traditional networking space, and I, I can't help but 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 think like you know, I don't know. This 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 feels like uh, in in a way, it feels like SDN sort of uh, again, right, with this idea of a separate control plane that, that manipulates a data plane. But now we're talking about SDN almost like at an application layer, and, and given the way applications are moving and the way people are being asked to support the, the applications, and it just seems like this is something that if you're a, if you're a networking professional, this this would be one of those things you would ignore at your own risk. I mean, like this is a. Sort of a really big canary in the coal mine in terms of where I think networking is going, and I don't know what you think about that.
1: No, I, I agree. I mean, I, you know, I mean, if if you take a look at it, you know, kind of from a, a technical point of view, I mean, if you look at these proxies or sidecars that exist in these these service meshes, and and uh, and take a look at them in contrast to the way we normally kind of do the same type of service, uh, but in a non-service mesh environment, so we have these proxies. Uh, and they're in path, right? So stuff like L4 through seven traffic um, is, is something that these proxies are dealing with full time. So traditionally, if we wanted to do something like L4 through seven uh, load balancing uh, or application layer security, we would deploy a load balancer, an ADC, uh, you know, an application delivery controller, and we would punt or route traffic into those devices. And in some cases, uh, you know, you would you would have you know a one arm type of configuration where you're doing a bunch of hairpinning for that traffic. And the advantage that you have with these service meshes that are doing some of that functionality, but they're doing it within the context of that application, these service meshes are accomplishing a lot of that L7 fun right there in the application environment. Um, So you have all of the advantages of doing uh, your L7-type load balancing functions that used to exist outside of this environment. You now are doing inside the environment. So this this gives a lot of uh, advantage to the application, its performance, et cetera. Uh, But it also allows you to do something that is a a very difficult thing for customers to achieve. And that is to take um, an application that does not natively have these services and provide these services to them without retrofitting them. And and I think that um, gluing some of this integrated uh, networking into the application itself or the service itself um, is very, very powerful. So flow-wise, Uh, You get a much more optimal uh, setup for the traffic between these services. It's a much more natural path, um, so you don't have to go out and go in for all of the things that you're trying to do. And it now um, has this programmatic uh, capability of allowing things that exist underneath the service or underneath the service mesh to programmatically influence the service mesh. Uh, So I think that's really one of the most powerful aspects of the traditional networking linking in with the service mesh is because now we have things that we know and love in the service mesh, L7 uh, type of stuff. And we can now glue things like maybe network monitoring, things like NetFlow or quality of service or IPSLA. And we can set up traditional network type triggers that exist underneath that service mesh and when something, you know, hits a latency or a jitter value, we can actually turn around and programmatically go tell Istio or go tell the service mesh, uh, please do something. Please change your routing policy at the uh, level, uh, layer seven uh, tier uh, to go respond to that type of change. So I think that kind of linkage there uh, is pretty powerful.
0: Uh, yeah, I agree. That's that's a very cool scenario of, of how we could take some of these traditional, Networking constructs and 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 functions, and tie them into these higher level, very application aware uh, services and functions that the the service mesh is providing, um, and and then you get something greater out of it at the end. So that's that's very very cool. Um, so let's let's shift gears just a little bit and and start talking a little more in detail, specifically about Istio and and Envoy. What I, I hear these two often like used together, but what is the what is the relationship between them? Sort of un- unpack that a little bit for listeners so that we understand what the relationship is between these two and, you know, like which function each one plays, that sort of thing.
1: Sure. So, I mean, again, you know, as, as other people have, have uh, probably presented on on here and, and other sessions is that, you know, we've got the control plane, we've got a data plane in SDL. Uh, The control plane includes some components. So the first one is pilot, uh, which was formerly known as the Istio manager. Um, There is mixer and there is the Istio auth and we'll we'll break those down uh, a little bit further uh, in a sec. Uh, the data plane is kind of the envoy piece, right? This is the this is where these uh, quote unquote intelligent proxies exist or these sidecars exist. Uh, the proxy that's most commonly used uh, with Istio, as is, you know, as as their core documentation and a lot of presentations uh, uh, point out, is Envoy, which is uh, this uh, L seven C plus uh, proxy that was written uh, by the Lyft team and and now in the, in the open source world, um, and. One thing about that is that that is kind of a pluggable component. So you know, a lot of people always associate to, you know, uh, and and Envoy, but there are other proxies that you can inject. Uh, for example, there's a session at uh, KubeCon in, in in Austin where NGINX has a sidecar, right? So there's nothing to say that Envoy is the only uh, game in town when it when it comes to that particular component. But but this for the sake of our conversation, we'll stick with the data plane sidecar proxy uh, with Envoy. So. On the control plane side, uh, this component of pilot um, is is kind of this traffic management element. So it it provides traffic management, it provides uh, resiliency, it provides kind of an interface into Envoy programmatically, um, and it's the thing that kind of deals with the service discovery for the sidecar. So when a service comes up um, within a Kubernetes environment, for example, uh, pilot can can, uh, understand that information and then... Uh, Program Envoy as a data plane service um, to perform uh, load balancing and routing policy type of stuff um, based upon that service information. Uh, The Mixer component is what provides access control, policy enforcement, uh, data collection, telemetry, that sort of thing. And so it can take this information that is existing in real time inside of the service mesh um, and apply policy or access control to it, but also allow you to take that information and uh, push it out to uh, an external service. You can use, you know, Prometheus or some sort of homegrown uh, environment where you can then report what's actually happening inside of the mesh. And then uh, the last component in the control plane side is Istio Auth, and this is the component that's providing uh, encryption between the sidecars and the services. Um, Istio uses uh, Mutual uh, TLS and uh, Spiffy, which uh, we won't <laughs> burn our time on this, but uh, in the uh, show notes, maybe we can put a link in there for, for what Spiffy is. Uh, but Spiffy is is the component that's uh, providing kind of the key insert structure um, for the service mesh. And it's, it's uh, not only dealing with uh, MTLS from an encryption perspective, but we're also doing verified service naming uh, along with that. So we want to know that the service that I'm talking to is the service I'm allowed to talk to, uh, etc. So. Um, A lot of the stuff and a lot of the attention that gets uh, paid to uh, Istio is really on the data plane side. So the control plane stuff is is awesome and and, uh, uh, great because it's really your doorway into programming Envoy when it comes to uh, a full Istio deployment. Uh, But when you get into the data plane side, that's kind of where I get uh, a little bit excited because this is really where uh, the networking aspect of this really comes into play. So Envoy, uh, again, is a high-performance proxy uh, that the Lyft team has uh, has kind of brought to the world, and it's a, it's a pretty awesome um, uh, solution. Uh, it is injected as a sidecar, which means that it is basically paired up or a companion to a service. Um, so this is kind of if you roll back to one of the value-add things uh, that Istio kind of brings into this environment is that I can have an existing service, um, and then I can bring Istio into that, or I can bring Envoy into that. I can basically inject that uh, Envoy sidecar into the service, and it kind of transparently slips its way in between the communication stream between a service and another service. And when it's doing that, uh, it now has uh, full capability of dealing with all inbound and outbound traffic for those services. So and it, when it's it, you know in place – uh, no service is talking directly to another service unless it's traversing this sidecar or envoy. Uh, so it's kind of tough when you, you don't, you know, you're verbally describing this without pictures, but the primary attribute you have around the sidecar is that we immediately gain access to features and functionalities uh, that are in traditional, very expensive uh, L7 load balancers. So things like TLS, things like um, layer seven uh, application health checks. Um, all kinds of other security things, you know, circuit breakers and, and 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 that sort of thing is naturally injected between two services where they did not exist be- beforehand. And again, uh, we've got this function that exists in native application or service environment that we now do not have to go retrofit to support that. Now, the thing that that is kind of interesting uh, in, in this aspect is that now once Envoy is in place. Um, we can take health checks or we can take external calls from outside of Istio, for example, those network events that I was talking about, and we can go in through pilot and we can program envoy routing rules to start doing very interesting things at the application layer. So one of the things that that is very cool within the envoy space um, is when you start to uh, figure out what all you can do from things like traffic splitting uh, where I'm basically wanting to go and programmatically change kind of the the percentage ratios of where traffic is gone within the mesh. So uh, if I've got a canary deployment where I want to only have you know five percent of my total amount of traffic go to this one brand new service and make sure that it's going to do what it's supposed to do before I let the rest of the world into it, um, I can do that. Um, If I want to say that a specific user or a specific group of users um, is going to go to a new version of my app while the rest of the world stays on another version of the app, I have that control. And again, Envoy is just sitting there waiting for me to tell it to do things in path. And so I think Envoy uh, from, from you know, the deepest part of this component is, is that element that allows us to programmatically do anything pretty much within reason that we want to do um, at, at an application perspective.
0: Okay, so that's that's awesome information. I want to dig in a little bit to some of this stuff um, and, and just make sure that listeners kind of fully grasp what we're talking about here, and, and honestly to clear up some of my own, my own questions as well. So we're talking about Envoy as, as a data plane solution and being uh, being sort of um, in band with uh, the, the, the communications between service endpoints so that no service is talking to any other service directly. It's always talking through an Envoy instance. And we've, we've said so far that a lot of times when we're talking about Istio and Envoy, it's often in the context of Kubernetes. So let's, let's look at this specifically. When, when Istio injects Envoy or when we as a user inject Envoy in, in place, um, and, and listeners, by the way, if you're unclear about any of the Kubernetes terms that we're talking about here, uh, go back and listen to the episode with uh, Sebastian Guazgin from Bitnami where he unpacked all this stuff. Um, and then come back and, and resume this one. But um, so are we injecting Envoy as another container in a pod, or are we running this as a daemon on a Kubernetes node?
1: Um, so it's It's basically running um, as, you know, if you take a look at um, all of the the pods, if, you know, you do a cube control get pods namespace Istio system, you're going to see um, basically these uh, control plane aspects exist there. But when you actually are looking Um, From a pod perspective, you're actually going to see Envoy as another um, kind of instance inside of the pod. It's a container running inside of, of a pod. Ah, uh, where there's one or more containers that exist inside of that pod.
0: Right, right. Okay. So again, uh, you know, listeners, go back and listen to that Kubernetes episode. But uh, if you're if you're unclear with any of this stuff, but so what we're doing is we're injecting Envoy, um, the data plane component, as uh, an additional container inside a pod, which means it's going to share that network namespace, and and then I'm I'm assuming through routing rules or environment variables or something like that, it's it's in, it's inserting itself as a transparent proxy so that it handles all of that traffic per the instructions from the control plane.
1: That's correct. Yeah, it is. It, the You know, as it sits in there, the service, once it's in, you know, or, or as it's injected, the service not does not know that something has become a part of an in-path, uh, you know, flow between it and another service. It's just, it's sitting there and it now is uh, basically intercepting what any, you know, type HTTP type of communication stream that a service had with another service, um, it, it has no clue that that's taking place.
0: Right, right. So it's completely transparent. So that, and that's, and that's obviously you know, from from your discussion earlier. It's it's a key design point for it to be transparent because the idea is that we want to be able to use Istio and Envoy to bring capabilities to uh, services or or application components that uh, without having to rearchitect them. We want to be able to add things like mutual TLS and. Um, that sort of thing, without having to go back and re-architect the the individual containers or the applications um, that were that we're talking about supporting. Yes. Right. Right. Okay. And so transparency, you know, operating as a transparent proxy or a transparent sort of bump in the wire um, is is obviously a key part there. Um, now, in the control plane perspective, you know, we we talked about uh, uh, Pilot and Mixer and Istio Auth. I think I got all those three correct. Yep. <laughs> it sounds like Pilot would be the place where they would have the API integration into the orchestrator. So pilot's going to be talking or in Kubernetes is issuing a, a watch on objects in Kubernetes so that it knows when something happens and then can respond appropriately from there. Is that, is that accurate?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, if you kind of look at uh, the pilot component by itself, there are, are these interfaces, uh, I think they call them platform adapters, Um, that basically are its interface into the environment that it may be sitting on. For example, you know, Cloud Foundry or Kubernetes or something like that. Um, And then kind of south of it, there's some stuff in the middle, but south of it, it has these Envoy APIs, and that's basically it's kind of southbound, back to your SDN uh, (laughs) references earlier on. It's kind of its southbound uh, uh, means to communicate directly with Envoy, and and that's where it's kind of engaging with service discovery, traffic rules, that sort of thing.
0: Right, right. Okay. Makes perfect. Sense so it's this is uh, it sounds to me an extraordinarily powerful component and I think you agree um, and and we've we've sort of talked about the importance of of why people should be looking at this especially if you're a networking professional and, and you're trying to sort of keep up with things that are happening in the cloud native space I think this is a really 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 important part that you need to be watching um, uh, carefully but let's let's talk a little bit about like how does one get started I mean you know you came from you know, sort of the quote-unquote traditional networking background. I mean, you'd, you'd move beyond that. And and some would say, you know, we're already beyond that just because of your background and the way you've always focused on this sort of holistic solution rather than just, you know, the just the networking perspec- pers- uh, the networking part of it. But how did you get started with Istio Online? What are some of the resources and that you used to getting started? And what would you recommend to listeners as to how they might get started going down this path of, of becoming more familiar with how Istio and Envoy work, and how they might use them in their own um, environments.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I I started uh, by just going to istio.io. That that's kind of where I I really started, kind of understanding what the concepts are, uh, what the design goals were. Um, and I'm a I'm a, a learn by you know kind of graphical analysis type of person, so I think that it's incredibly important. Um, to as you start kind of reading some of these descriptions is not only look at the pictures that are out there on, you know, Istio.io or presentations or whatever, but redraw those pictures yourself without looking at those pictures and, and kind of draw out those components um, and, and start drawing arrows and start connecting things so that you understand how the flow um, really works. And so get is, good, is a, a great starting place for everybody, kind of talks about what what the project is and, and how you would use it. Um, as The second thing that, that I would recommend is get it turned on. So there's a, how do you deploy it? Which actually is uh, probably one of, of an, any open source projects, probably one of the easiest things to actually get deployed um, on your own virtual machine, or or you know if you're running a, a GKE cluster at Google or whatever the case might be, it's incredibly easy to get running. And the, the community has done a really good job of providing you uh, some example services that plug directly into Istio. So probably one of the most prevalent uh, examples out there so that you can get a really good firm, but not overly complicated grasp of Istio is called the Book Info service. Um, and so this deploys uh, you know a, a a somewhat simplistic looking, but a fairly powerful example of how, uh, ISTIO can be used to modify the flow from a layer seven perspective, um, a traditional service relationship. Um, so that that's the second thing is is you know once you get it deployed, um, get a, an actual service running inside of ISTIO so that you can uh, follow up with it. And then the the you know the final part there is that it's great to receive this information. It's great to put into practice this information. But I think that the real power of of any open source community is by contributing to the open source community, because not only are you receiving and you're learning from other people, uh, but you are challenging yourself to make that thing better. And and I think, you know, one of the, the mantras that I've had in my entire career is figure it out, write it down, tell people about it and make it better. And that is a circular loop that I live through every day. And I think, uh, you know, the way I've learned with Istio and the way that I want to contribute to Istio is as is I want to learn about it, but I want to make it better. Um, and the, the best learning I've ever had with any open source community is less on the receiving and more on the giving part. That's an important point. And I'm, I'm glad you
0: brought it up, Shannon, because I've talked with a number of guests here on, on the show about the process of giving back being uh, an integral component of the overall learning process. So it's great to to assimilate that information and begin to link that information back to what you already know and to make the associations and the connections with how this affects something you already know or how it, you know, might change what you already know or et cetera, et cetera. But it's also important to be able to then give that information back, whether it's through the form of a you know, a lunch and learn at your office, or you know, writing a blog post, or you know, doing a quick YouTube video, or as you point out, actually contributing to the project in some fashion, whether it be improving documentation, or you know, if you're if you're of the appropriate skill level, you know, contributing code or patches or something of that level. So I, I'm glad you brought that up, and I think it is important for listeners to understand that there is a there is a, a component to your own learning that involves giving it back to
1: others. Absolutely. I mean, giving uh, giving in an open source community, uh, a lot of people think, oh, I've got to be a dev and start writing Go or Python or whatever. And uh, so that's pretty daunting, especially for somebody uh, like me who is uh, self-taught in everything but suffer greatly in self-taught uh, development, right? You know, from a language perspective. And so contributing doesn't just necessarily mean writing code. It, it, it means all the things you listed uh, and and you know, uh, you know the act local type of thing where you can, uh, you know, inspire someone else to 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 learn. Um, you can take you know the things that you had, I, and I definitely had some challenges uh, learning some of the Istio stuff. Um, and, but I can simplify some of that, turn it around, show some of the examples that that I've built in my own environment, um, and help other people, you know, kind of get a little faster start.
0: Perfect. I do want to come back to the challenges in just a minute, but first I want to I want to circle around. Um, we've we've talked about Istio and Envoy primarily in the context of Kubernetes. So that really means that in order for them to get to, the, in order for a listener to get to the point where they are sort of ready to start really digging into Istio and Envoy, they sort of need to have some prerequisites first. They kind of need to be familiar with containers and, and probably, you know, Docker as the predominant runtime there. And they probably need to be familiar, at least at some level, with Kubernetes and the main Kubernetes constructs. Would you agree?
1: I I would agree um, so that they understand Istio. But but uh, for example, I I just had someone reach out to me that said, uh, "Hey, I would like to do a little more where." Uh, we are taking streaming telemetry information, we want to take a, a triggered event from that, and we just simply want to go into uh, the policy API through pilot. I don't even really need to care how Istio works, I just want to go in and change some sort of routing rule, so how would I do that? So. Uh, you know, uh, yes, I would agree that they've got to know all of those things to really appreciate the the architecture of Istio, but to get started with Istio, uh, it's as quick as you going into your favorite public cloud, spin up a three-node cluster, um, and then following the Istio IO deployment guide for an example, and literally, you know, in less than two minutes, you can have Istio to where you can, you know, start seeing it from a, a service construct. So, um, I think you can very quickly get started with it, and then kind of retrofit your your experience uh, through that prerequisites list you had to say, okay, well, what does this mean? You know, in the form of an ingress, what does this mean in the form of some other Kubernetes you know component? And and I think you could kind of, if you wanted to, almost work backwards.
0: I'm hearing you correctly. It sounds like uh, really just a sort of a maybe not just a cursory, but a solid high level knowledge of of containers docker kubernetes is probably going to be sufficient they don't need you know listeners don't need to worry about being like super proficient in these technologies just Comfortable with the concepts and the ideas at a high level, yep. uh, and then they can they can consume Kubernetes as you mentioned through you know Google with Google Kubernetes Engine or you know Azure or whatever right turn up a Kubernetes cluster maybe it's Cops on AWS or whatever term yep. you know whatever sort of process you want but don't get too hung up on the Kubernetes side of it like because there's a lot there but don't get too hung up on that just sort of as long as you have a a pretty you know solid knowledge of what those key components are and sort of how things work at a high level, you can jump into Istio, and then sort of, as you mentioned it, sort of reverse engineer it back to drive deeper knowledge into those, into those things instead of getting bogged down before you get to Istio. Is that, is you?
1: Sure. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, it's, it's always a dangerous thing of how do you get started because people come with a desire uh, or, or a need to learn things at a different layer. So if you don't care about how, uh, you know, a Kubernetes cluster works, the only thing that you will ever do with Istio is to interface through routing rules, um, then, you know, maybe you don't need to know every deep, dark corner of Kubernetes, right? So, I mean, it, it really is an if uh, if or, or a, it, it depends type of thing on, on how deep you need to understand what's below Istio before you can understand Istio.
0: That's totally a fair statement. Um, and And so, you know, listeners, just remember, you know, sort of you'll want to you'll want to approach your learning process based on what it is you're trying to get out of it so as as shannon pointed out if your primary goal is you're going to be somebody who's going to be interacting with istio from you know the control plane apis and and modifying routing rules and that sort of thing then yeah just just skip past the kubernetes setup process by using a hosted kubernetes service or a tool like cops or you know whatever and jump right into to using you know sort of the the after kubernetes you know day two sort of stuff right um but if you're going to be somebody who's who needs to have that deeper knowledge of kubernetes then you may need to spend some time there um before moving on to Istio, and then and then that will help drive some knowledge back as well um so we're we're you know kind of running close to our our you know target time um that we don't want to run you know too long and, and get people all bored and stuff although i i found this conversation fascinating you'll probably continue talking for a couple more hours but we don't want to do that to our listeners. So um, let's let's talk about the challenges. You mentioned that you certainly ran into some challenges. What were some of those challenges, and and um, you know how, how did you how did you
1: get past them? My my challenge was not learning STO. That was very uh, easy uh, for me to understand. I think the documentation, which is uh, rare for an open source project, uh, does a really good job. Um, and I'm a pretty quick learner with that sort of thing. The challenge I had uh, was how do I externally interact with Istio? So I'm definitely weak from a programmatic point of view. Uh, It's, uh, you know, development is not my strong suit. So when I wanted to interact with Istio uh, from a programmatic perspective, either, you know, from some sort of tool set outside or through Python or through uh, scripting or whatever, and I wanted to externally uh, influence my will into Istio, I kind of struggled up front on, you know, is it that I'm going directly into Pilot? Is it that I'm going in through some other external service that is inter- then interacting with Pilot? That external um, uh, part for me engaging with it now it's super easy to me. But but uh, starting off, I was I was kind of a, a little confused on on how I best interact with Istio as as a service, uh, you know, as a tool that I can engage with. And so, um, I think for many people that probably already you know. Uh, have a good, uh, solid understanding of, you know, how APIs work and how do you engage with APIs and how do you influence APIs from some other tool set? Um, it wouldn't be a problem for them at all, but that definitely was the thing that kind of took me a little while to just kind of figure out how to, how to, you know, how to use the system once it was running.
0: That's my, my initial take. I think that's probably something that a lot of listeners would, um, potentially struggle with, you know, um, a lot of the listeners for the show come from an infrastructure background. They may not be as familiar with how they would go about manipulating an API from a Python script or from some other programming language, or even just, you know, curl. Um, And so the idea of constructing a JSON body that you're going to send in a header, uh, you know, and so on, so forth, et cetera, et cetera, that, that sort of stuff may be, may be a little challenging them. So, you know, listeners, if that's you know, if that's where you are, you, then you may want to invest some time in in you know becoming a little more familiar with with how you interact with an API. Look at a tool like Postman or uh, something of that nature to kind of help you um, get past uh, you know what what interacting with an API looks like. And then you can, from there, apply it to whatever scripting language you may or, or you know, wish to be more familiar with.
1: Sure. The basic interaction, like, you know, Istio control, very similar to to Kube control. You know, I mean, there's easy syntax with lots of examples on how you kind of brute force your changes into Istio. But uh, from a production perspective, you're probably going to programmatically interact with that. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's definitely something that people, you know, have to have to come into <laughs> terms with it. That's going to be uh, their role.
0: Fair enough. Uh, absolutely. So we uh, yeah, definitely don't want people, um,
1: you know, getting into
0: bad habits about uh, how they want to run things in production. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So let's, let's uh, just, just kind of, you know, begin the wrap up here. Um, Shannon, you know, the information you provided has been outstanding, very detailed, uh, very practical. So I really appreciate that. I think listeners will get a lot of value out of that. As we prepare to wrap up any sort of closing thoughts or key takeaways that, you know, you think listeners, hey, you know, if you walk away with only one thing from this, this is the one thing I want you to walk away with.
1: Sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, more more broadly as as a person that um, has experience with a wide range of, of technologies, some of them very deep, some of them not so deep, I think as a full stack person that, um, you know, you need to find Initially, uh, what really excites you that is outside of your core job or your core comfort zone, and and kind of focus on that, and and it, learning that interface into Istio and learning how it matters to an application environment that I probably don't ever uh, have, uh, you know, a need or want or or you know, uh, an interaction with uh, as a part of my core job um, was a tough thing for me, but it was also a great way for me to learn, and so I think kind of getting people to to become full stack engineers. Um, you kind of got to push yourself outside of what your your core functional areas are and, and kind of push yourself towards the fringes uh, so that you can understand kind of the context. Uh, as it relates to Istio, um, I think you know one of the key takeaways for it is that it is not uh, it is not necessarily a, a revolution of networking. Uh, but there is a, a strong evolution to it, in in a way that it is allowing us to now uh, more seamlessly kind of uh, allow traditional networking knowledge and skill sets and tool sets to interact at a layer that we typically. Had to kind of retrofit into the into the service of the application, and I think this gives a lot of people that are in that L L three, through even through L seven, if they're a you know an ADC or load balancer person, um, gives them the opportunity finally uh, to really get into the inside of a service um, at a tier that it makes sense right right alongside the service, um, and I think as a key takeaway is like. If there's ever a time for you to enter into learning microservices and learning how these things work at a, le- a layer seven perspective, not just how do you traffic flow, you know, SSL front ends to SSL offload, uh, but really understanding how a microservice works, how these services are constructed, and how these services operate, uh, Istio is probably your very best first path into that kind of world.
0: Perfect, Shannon. Thanks. I, I appreciate that. And I think, um, I, I personally totally agree that um, this is a, a very very evolutionary uh, approach an important evolutionary approach but but it's not you know so uh, you know radically different than what you've been doing on the networking space this is just taking it further than where um, it was um, sort of before. Um, all right, so let's let's wrap up. Shannon, um, any contact information online you want to share with listeners so they can uh, stalk you online?
1: Yeah, the very best way to get a hold of me is on uh, Twitter, I-E-Y-E-P-V-6. So you can tell what I did for more than a day. Uh, but, uh, yeah, IPv6 uh, at Twitter is probably the absolute best way to get a hold of me. Those in your own uh, learning environment.
0: Um, but once again, listeners, I want to just uh, thank you for, for joining us today. If you get a minute and uh, you have nothing better to do, then um, we'd appreciate you taking a few minutes to go out to iTunes or, or wherever you found the podcast and giving us some feedback, rating it. Um, feel free to, to hit me up um, online. You can uh, contact me at, uh, at FSJ, uh, podcast. Which is the podcast for the Full Stack Journey podcast, or you can hit me up directly uh, at Scott underscore Low on Twitter. Um, the podcast published um, on the Packet Pushers website, and um, uh, you know if you are out there as a listener and you perhaps are, work for a company that might be interested in sponsoring the podcast to help cover our expenses in editing and publishing and hosting all of that, we uh, do have some sponsorship opportunities available. We'd love to talk with you about those, and uh, so feel free to reach out um uh, to me or uh, either via twitter uh, or you know whatever mechanism you you prefer so thanks again for joining us uh we appreciate you giving us some of your time we hope that today's show was useful thanks so much have a great day